This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Global Leadership Platform. I am Kevin Farquharson. With me, also from Leadership Platform, is Louis Grunewald, the old man. Welcome, Louis. Thank you. And today is our special uh, recording. We are recapping the year of our, our association with Professor Theo Feltzman. For all things leadership, um, not to forget to go to our website, www.leadership.com, and sorry, leadershipplatform.com. And today we have our reflections on the year uh, spent with Professor Theo Feltzman. Um, he's a work psychologist, visiting professor, Department of Industrial Psychology and People Management of the University of, of Johannesburg, extraordinary professor and of the University of Stellenbosch Business School. So Theo, once again, welcome again another month and uh, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you very much for having me and uh, also hello to the listeners. Great. We're going to go straight into it. I'm going to ask Louis to, to start us off. Go ahead. To the listeners out there, today is a special session. We are, are reflecting on the themes covered in our 2018 Leadership Masterclasses. Uh, we believe it's a highly professional input by Professor Theo, a, a really, in his own way, a world-renowned um, leadership expert. And it's been entertaining uh, and delightful. And this is for uh, the very serious students of authentic leadership. Um, now, the, the 2018 Close Out Leadership Masterclass, this is what is today, is aimed at reflecting on the leadership themes covered during the year by weaving the themes together in an integrated leadership story, a leadership tapestry, and distilling insights gained from the year. Theo, go ahead, please. What leaders very often mistaken genuine followers, if they ask questions, critical questions, is the right way of doing this? Can't we do it in this way? They mustn't immediately define them as opponents and opposing. The question is, are they on board in terms of what we want to achieve, the envisioned legacy? Then they are followers. But it's where uh, 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 stakeholders start questioning the, leg the legitimacy of leaders to lead, then they become opponents. Uh, true followers don't question the legitimacy. They just could be critically engaging with a leader. What's the best way to undertake the journey into the future? Journey four, as you said, journey within the unfolding context, dynamic matching. We spoke a lot about and mentioned it a couple of times, the Shauna saying of the power of the fishes in the water. This is what it's all about. Leaders have to undertake a journey in a certain context. Their operating arena, their sphere of influence, their sphere of, 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 of action. And um, they must understand uh, being at all times. And you spoke in a previous session, a masterclass about uh, relevancy. They must remain contextually relevant to the context in which they have to operate through ensuring in real time a dynamic matching. They match to the context in which they have to lead. And, and the, the critical in, ingredients of this journey is fourfold. Do I have to a right contextual mode, the right set of uh, engagement mode, rather, right set of glasses? Have I made in this Vikas world a mind shift in terms of change assumptions? Because that's where the change is happening in the context. Thirdly, do I understand the characteristics of change navigation in this Vikas world? And finally, 
Am I able, because I'm going to make certain transitions as a leader in the organizational space, do I make these uh, uh, transitions? How do I steer and guide my leadership transitions? Right. Well, then, so four, four, yeah. uh, four yarns uh, that make up the strand of the rope. You see, this leads to adopting the right contextual engagement mode, as you put it here. Go ahead. Yeah. So the first yarn here of this journey is we all have a set of glasses on when we look at the world. And for that, we have to make sure uh, that we look at the world in the right way. What we stressed, Louis, was to say that, uh, I mean, if I have a set of glasses on and uh, that makes me see the world is flat, I've got serious problems if the world is actually round because I'll behave completely as if the world is, is, is flat, stick to my village, never go beyond the boundaries of the village of what I can see because I'm going to drop off the, the end of the earth. If I believe the world is round, my glasses let me see it, is, then I will uh, um, um, go beyond the village and I'll go and explore new worlds, etc. And there are three elements that make up this, uh, this set of glasses, my engagement, contextual engagement mode. Firstly, my worldview. How do I believe the world works? Do I believe the world works like a machine or do I have a complexity view of the world? Secondly, my decision-making framework. How do I make decisions in this world? And some uh, authors contend that this is the essence of leadership. I have to make decisions. But if I don't, and the, the, the thinking here is we have to adapt our decision approaches, decision-making approaches, depending on the quality, the features of the context in where I have to make. If it's a stable context, I can have a different decision-making approach to when it's a very turbulent, unpredictable context. And what people call that is a contingency approach to decision-making. And the third one is, what is my value orientation engaging with the world? Um, is it right to drive on the right-hand side of the road or the left-hand side of the road? I have to render value judgments. Uh, and, and, and am I clear as a leader that I've got the right value orientation in making the decisions about right or wrong, important, uh, unimportant? And here, the stewardship, the servant kind of value orientation is the one that's coming through very strongly. Uh, to the second string, making a mind shift in change assumptions. It's all about mind shifts, of course. Yes. Yeah, so I have got the right set of glasses on in terms of this, the journey in the context. The second one is I have to kind of reprogram my head uh, in terms of what, how does change, what's the nature of change in this Vikas world, which we describe quite a many of the time in our master classes. And I just want to give a couple of uh, examples of how our change assumptions have to shift. The one is a past success. In the past, we believed that past success could predict future success. That's no longer true. Is that we have to accept the new assumption here is that future success will look different than past success. A second assumption that we just have to merely adapt to the future that rush rushing upon us. And the new assumption is that the best way uh, to create the future or to predict the future is to create it. Uh, that is what Drucker also said. And the third one is that uh, the good old days are still the, the best and we must maintain it at all costs. And <laughs> the new assumption here is uh, today is the last day of the good days. We, we have to start afresh. So point here is what we stressed in a masterclass is 
you can't operate in this new world with the same change assumptions. You have to shift them. You have to change your mind about them. You see, Theo, you know, these are beautiful points. This leads to the third string, understanding the characteristics of change navigation in the Vickers world, the Vickers world that Theo speaks so, about. So, 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 yeah. so we've made the mind shift in change assumptions, but now we have to affect change. We have to navigate change in this world. And just a couple here is, you know, we in the past believed that we could uh, manage change in a planned, programmatic fashion. Change nowadays is messy. It's iterative. It's backwards, forwards. Uh, it is reinventing all the time. Secondly, in the past, we believed in terms of navigating change, that it is we it is unfreeze change refreeze no longer the case the world is hyper turbulent hyper fluid all the time so organizations has to live in a permanent state of unfreezing third one is where we have to find anchors in this world and it can't be in, in systems and policies in markets and pro products and clients because those are ever changing in our business model what is really i believe are two the firm anchors uh, in, in this world is firstly our envisioned legacy that is value guided. So our values and our dream of what we want to bring about are kind of our secure anchors. The next one is nothing is holy in this new world. We can't protect holy cows. We have to question everything from first principles in affecting the change in life. Finally, we have to find out, in the past, we could go to other companies say, how you've done the change, can we learn from you? We can still learn from others, but in this world, we have to each find our own success change story. We have to work out the change for ourselves in terms of what we want to achieve. Hmm. Thank you, Theo. Uh, the fourth one, steering successful leadership transitions. Well, what we stressed in this masterclass, which was in May, was about that we as a leader in this world have to make a number of leadership transitions throughout our career. It's taking up a new set of accountability responsibilities. So we're moving from one role to another in the same organization, other organization. Typically, what happens around leadership transitions uh, is we pay a lot of attention to the coming in or the taking up of a new CEO uh, of, a, uh, of the, the top position in the company. But there are lots of other leadership transitions, and we kind of not address it. We kind of sweep it under the carpet. And what the point we, we stressed in that leadership uh, masterclass is we have to deliberately plan, think, organize, and execute leadership transitions. How the person will make the move from, from a current role into a new one. What is the plan? How do you deal with the dilemmas? Is it fast? Is it slow? How do you actually prepare the person for that? How is it that what is the strategy of transitioning and adopting to the new uh, role that I have to take up? We have to pay more attention to leadership transitions in a Vikas world and, and actually steer and guide it deliberately. Mm. Theo, yes, I can see the importance of that. The overall lesson learned regarding Journey 4? Journey 4 was this world that I have to match. So, uh, firstly, the leader have to understand in undertaking the journey, have I got the right set of lenses, gla glasses on, my uh, contextual engagement mode? Have I made a mind shift in terms of 
change assumptions with respect to this world and to understand how do I actually must navigate change. Because remember, this is a journey. You navigate change. How do I have to do that? And then finally, making sure that I plan, execute, and monitor uh, leadership, my leadership transitions and of my other leaders uh, proactively and thoughtfully. Thanks, Theo. Journey five, uh, journey leveraged from the organization, ongoing innovative reinvention. Uh, this, this trend of the, of the, of the uh, rope, of the journey, making up the total uh, journey, Louis, is about all of us as leaders have a home base, a base from which we operate, a base through which we want to achieve things. Uh, so I have to find a home somewhere for my envisioned legacy with my followers. And, and therefore, I have to understand my organization. And in this Vikas world, the, the journey with my organization, as you said it already, is ongoing innovative reinvention. Organizations can't be stacked. We've just heard about the change past success, can't work any longer. We have to, nothing is holy. So we have to reinvent the organization as, uh, through which we want to bring about the change. And, and there are three uh, yarns making up the strand of the rope. Is Do I understand the, correct, the organization landscape correctly? Do I have the right picture in thinking of the organization? Um, how do I translate the shared envisioned legacy in, in, into a distinct, powerful organizational identity? And thirdly, building the organization a fit-for-purpose organization, which is all about architecting a high-performance, high-engagement, high-responsible organization built around teams. Theo, you used the expression, uh, the one, adopting an appropriate view of the organizational landscape. Uh, you know, in the past, what was a, uh, we all have a view of how the organization is put together. For some uh, leaders, you know, the basic way in which they see organization is in terms of organigram. What we say the new view, and that's based in a complexity worldview, is that the organization is like a living system. It consists of different parts. Its identity, its design, it is the people, the culture, the climate, the leadership the performance, the technology, and all of these things, like the organs of a body, have to be fitted together and, and function in, 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 in harmony, so to speak, in a mutually supportive way. If you still look at the organization in a silo and you deal with its silos functionally or by parts, independently in its silos, you're into for serious trouble in the future. So we all as leaders have to shift the way in which we look in this Vickers world, uh, how we look at organizations. And that leads our organization. Yeah, and that leads of course to the second point, translating the shared envisioned legacy into a distinct, powerful organizational identity. See you? You 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 have to bring the envisioned legacy uh, into the organization landscape. And where do you bring it into? You bring into the identity of the organization. And and uh, the identity is made up of a collectivity of five things. It's the purpose of the organization. Others would call it the mission. Well, nowadays, a lot of people talk about the purpose of the organization. It's vision. It's ideology. It's values. Thirdly, uh, fourthly, rather, it's strategic intent. What do we want to achieve and the legacy we want to leave behind? So 
identity is core to the organization because that is what followers are going to identify with. So this identity has to be infused in, into across the whole organizational landscape into all of the components, into the culture, into the climate, into the type of skills we want to give people, in the way in which we design the organization, uh, which actually is the next John we have to discuss. But the identity, powerful and distinct. See, this leads to the August and October masterclasses. Achieving a high performance, high engagement, high responsible organization built around teams. The, 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 uh, what leaders have to get right in this part of the journey in terms of the organization is really build a fit-for-purpose organizational design because through the design you actually deliver. And, and in this Vikas world with uh, accelerated technological innovation, this rentless disruptive innovation, continual learning, the, the, the organizational design that's now propagated, which we also conveyed in August and October is a high performance, high engagement, high responsibility organizational design, not your conventional command and control design, which we we use the analogy there of a, a symphony orchestra under the baton of an autocratic conductor, but rather a leaderless jazz band uh, infused by skillful improvisation, uh, featuring real-time agility, responsiveness, and the flexibility. And this is a this type of organization at the coalface is a multi-team system where you have a, a highly powered, agile, interconnected teams at all levels in the organization in all areas uh, acting in concert. And that's the, the fit for purpose design of the future. So here the point is find a fit for purpose uh, organizational design. Theo, the, you in your text you put an, a table uh, regarding leadership implications of moving to a team-based organizational change. Again, from two, can you sketch some of these for us? Yes, uh, leadership can't be the same uh, and, uh, with this type of organization, uh, Louis. I mean, if you have a command and control organization, it can't be the same as this, uh, as we've described it, this uh, high performance, high engagement, high responsibility organization built around teams. So it's around moving from a, a fixed position as a, a, the leader to rotating roles. In other words, that's the shared leadership. You, you operate no longer through the hierarchy, but in a multidimensional, uh, directional rather network. It's not about your authority that you have a, as a leader. It's about reputation. So we can carry on. We stress in that leadership masterclass. Understand in a team-based organization, leadership has to be reinvented. Uh, Theo, we must bear in mind that what Theo is getting at here is also very close related to an employee, a leader, a manager's um, attitude towards personal happiness and job enjoyment. These things are all attributes of really enjoying your job. When we feel we're contributing um, in a genuine way, it makes a vital difference to our mindset. And this is the old question, do you like to come to work on a Monday? And these are all aspects of we need to look at all these attributes that do affect our, our mindset towards our work. The overall lesson regarding um, Journey 5, Theo? I think the takeaway from this journey, which deals with the uh, reinventing the organization, 
is for leadership going into the future on this journey, have the appropriate view of the organization, translate your shared envisioned legacy into a distinct, powerful identity for the organization, and architecting a fit-for-purpose organizational design that's able to deliver against that identity. Thank you, Theo. The session we did last month was the glaring gap in the evaluation of organizational leadership capital. In other words, the way we measure the value of organization. And Theo is saying there's a glaring gap in the evaluation of, of the leadership capital. And he explained how one can go about doing that. Um, yeah, I think we've done with the, the journeys. As you carry on with the journeys, what you're actually doing is you're building up at the top line, so to speak, the leadership capital of the organization so that at the bottom line you can make a difference. And the point we just made in, in, in uh, November Masterclass, we're not looking at leadership capital as a way, as a part of the overall valuation, the value we put on organizations. Yes, we look at at, at leadership capacity and we talk, have we got the right leaders, the right place, our, our, our leadership pipeline, but that is kind of a development judgment we render. We don't look at the soft side of leadership capital, leadership excellence, which is said are made up of five uh, classes of, of, of uh, um, capital, that is having virtuous leaders, leaders that build strong followership, Leaders that are able, have a track record of executing, that are building the energy as we've uh, mentioned before and discussed before, and also bringing about goodwill in the organization uh, amongst stakeholders. If we don't look uh, in the total scheme of things at leadership capital itself uh, as a way of, of um, including that in the overall ca- uh, valuation of firms, we're underrating, we don't have a true picture of the value of the of uh, the organization. See, Theo, if I should advise anybody when they want to take over an organization or evaluate it, as to to give attention to this this lesson, uh, how to how to rate the capital leadership capital organization, it gives you insight into the real substance of it. The overall lesson learned regarding leadership capital. In short, include leadership capital as a. A value uh, when you a value put a value on your firm and overall a value on your organization include leadership capital along the other types of capital like financial like physical like intellectual uh, and and thoroughly plan then the investments you have to make to grow and nurture and maintain your leadership capital this this journey the last year has been Quite frankly, an exciting one, and we've been involved with leaders so many times over the years. <clears throat> now, we'd love to spend a bit of time now. Reflections, insights gained over a year. Uh, Theo, your feeling on that? Yeah, I think, uh, and yeah, I would like you to come in very strongly as well, Louis. For me, the, the, the important, five important lessons learned, uh, insights that I've gained. Firstly, we, there's a dire need for leadership excellence at all places, in all, all, at all times. I call it, we need a leadership miracle. And a miracle is that leaders that are able to do amazing things, uh, abundance of leaders that makes the extraordinary and everyday occurrence. Uh, we've run short on leadership uh, miracles. 
uh, we are actually in a leadership crisis. That's the first insight. The second uh, insight for me, the, the literature on leadership is overwhelming. The practice to do books on leadership is exploding. So we have to develop ways uh, or, or a thinking way to look at the simplicity of leadership on the other side of the complexity, the Pareto principle of the 20% that will tell us our 80% story about leadership. We're sometimes just overwhelmed, you know. We, we're driven and seduced by the fads and the fashions of the day. The third insight is that we have to look at a new mental model of how to conceive, think, and understand leadership. And the one that we've been using in the leadership class uh, uh, over the past year has been this this leadership uh, ecosystem uh, where you look at leadership holistically, organically, systemically as the interaction in relationships between leadership, context, self, and others. The fourth insight is we have to reinvent our leadership development. Uh, um, and we can't carry on with these standalone prog uh, programmatic type of two-day workshops with leadership. Leadership has to become wider. We discussed it uh, in a session uh, a while ago. Deeper, go closer to the identity, integrate it, look at all the components systemically. We have to start earlier with our leadership development. And the point we've made is uh, with children already and leadership development is an ongoing process. And the fifth insight for me is assess your leadership capital because it's about the future. As we describe the, the leadership future-centric uh, approach we've taken, if you ain't got capital in place, leadership capital in place, you ain't got a viable future. And uh, we better all make sure that uh, we grow that leadership capital wherever we are such that this leadership, uh, this much-needed leadership miracle can happen. Otherwise, we're in serious trouble. Thank you for that. See, we, we're going to close off the session, um, but we just want to reinforce from our point of view um, our profound uh, appreciation and, quite frankly, excitement at uh, those things we discussed the last year. You know, we, we speak so much of leadership out there and we've personally, we've published oh, a couple of hundred articles and several books, etc. But this year's journey with, with Prof. Theo has been a, a, a climax to a great extent on our journey. It also impacts profoundly on the, the individual who wants to grow his leadership profile, become more authentic. And the, the days are past that you can develop your leadership um, on one side and then your personal life or your personal understanding or values on the other this becomes one integrated whole and in that way one starts developing a certain peace of mind a certain inner peace and a certain influence of, of goodness over other people and there are so many good people out there I think our country is awakening now to the need for good people solid people and quite frankly this goodness needs to be found though in a highly professional manner if you want to be an organizational leader theo so much um, has been gained this last year experience with you we certainly hope to sit down with many of our listeners out there and then with with theo personally present discuss these things how it's relevant in one's own individual situation organization thank you so much theo Thank you, Louis, and also for the privilege to have traveled the journey throughout this year with you. Also to you, Kevin. 
it's been a pleasure. Um, I know when you said your insights from the year, uh, for me, mine were, were similar um, to that, is that leadership is changing, and it's no longer how we view it. Um, in my capacity right now, um, in the past, I would not be regarded as a leader, but leaders is absolutely every single person we meet, from somebody who works in the garden um, that we would consider a lower income group or whatever, we consider them leaders um, in, in this new way of, of seeing things because they contribute. Everybody contributes to leadership and everybody has an impact on the person who is leading an organization. But leadership is within everybody. And, and this speaks to parents, it speaks to teachers, it speaks to children, it speaks to adults. No matter how old or young you are, this whole journey of this year speaks to everybody. And, and that's what I've appreciated it, that it's no longer, like you say, you go to a class and you become a leader. Yeah. A, a leader is a title, but leadership is not, cannot be just done in a class. You can learn principles and then you've got to go home and do the homework. And it's a personal, individual thing that you've got to do on a daily basis. And that's why I also love our global leadership platform app that we've got because it's a journey. It's a ongoing thing. It's a daily thing. It's, it's like eating, sleeping, exercise, mm -hmm. learning. It's, it's an mm -hmm. ongoing and, and a personal daily thing for see, everybody. Yeah. So that was my insights yeah. for this year. Thank you. Kevin. Amen. Yeah, just, Amen, Kevin. Yeah, just one point to understand justification for, for going through this effort of studying these things. The more you understand authentic leadership, the more you automatically start understanding toxic leadership. And then I think if people understood these principles better, then a lot of the, the uh, serious mistakes made by our, our social, political uh, and even business leaders out there could have been avoided because those around them could see. Because when you when you you only see the wrong if you really understand the right or understand the light, and then you can compare it with the darkness. So thank you, Theo, for the total content. We we expect to speak to you a lot. You're to come, perhaps in ap applying these uh, principles to the real world out there more and more. Thanks a lot, Theo. Thank you very much. Uh, so just one last thing that on what Louis was saying is, uh, I think also it would be nice uh, or be just a better authenticity for us as, as the public, as people, as individuals, is when the leader goes wrong, yes, they'd be held accountable if, if something serious has gone wrong or they've uh, committed a crime, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't just beat them down to a pulp. We should also, those who have made a genuine mistake, is help them in correcting them and building them up again. Uh, we shouldn't, when somebody does something wrong and it's, an, it's a mistake or an oversight, is beat them to a pulp and throw them to the wolves and uh, forget about them, help to build them up. And maybe they, they shouldn't be in their position anymore for whatever reason, but uh, not to beat them where they're totally destroyed and... and uh, and go the opposite way. Uh, yeah. Life almost feels uh, meaningless to them. We still want to build these people up. So when you were talking about the social media, I think it's hold them accountable and say this is wrong or this needs to be changed, but also to build them up um, as well yeah. is, is a critical part. 
Kevin, I would say, have they done the question we have to ask? Have they done it in good faith for the common purpose? We, in this changing world, we're all going to make mistakes. But the question we have to and fail and, and make wrong decisions, we have to ask the question, what do we learn from this? Because if you don't venture out, experiment, try out in this new world, we're not going to create the new world. But that means you, the risk of mistakes and failures are very high. Then build up that person, but ask the question, has it been done in good faith with a purpose to serve the common good? From a moral base, of course. One of the things I wanted to say, we, we met with uh, Gareth Cliff from Cliff Central, I think it was during the course of last year or even this year, um, and he went overseas. And um, one of the business sponsors of businesses in, in Silicon Valley, I think it was in California, they will only take people on who have made mistakes. They don't want the perfect student. They don't want the person who's been through business for 10 years and has been absolutely phenomenal at it and never made a mistake. They only want people who've made mistakes because those are the ones that actually have learned the lessons. The guys who've done everything and it's been like a spoon in their, silver spoon in their mouth, those are the ones that actually end up not being successful because they haven't failed. It's almost a, a reverse psychology, yeah. isn't it? It bears uh, out yeah. Theo's point. Uh, Theo, one of the, in the old days, you make a presentation, a business, and everything is perfect. All the reasons why people should accept your proposal. And what the real uh, wise investors are looking at has the person learned from their past experience. Not just made the mistakes, but what have they learned? There's something different about that kind of person. It bears out your point. Yeah. Very, very true. Yeah, you see, that is, then you're still holding on the, the old change uh, assumptions of, uh, you know, past recipes will work in the future, the holy cows that we have to protect. While in this new world, everything is open. You have to find your own success. You have to look at the future uh, and ask questions. And then you're bound to fail and make mistakes. But let's hold hands. That's why you need the shared leadership as well, to, to, to jointly learn from this. And uh, then move ahead. But if you don't learn, you're into serious trouble. Yes. And I think also when you jointly learn like that, when you've made a decision as a team and it fails, um, you all take responsibility and say, well, we're not bl name blaming and, and shaming people. It's okay. We, we made the decision. It didn't work. That's okay. Yes, it's, it's come at a cost. It's come at this. How are we going to fix it? And that's where the maturity comes in is how we're going to change us, how we're going to improve so we don't make the same mistake again. And those are the ones that always seem to be more successful. When you do it as a team, not as an individual, and you, you make those decisions and work through the failures together is a, a, a wonderful thing. Yeah, you see, uh, um, and that's why the term that's come about, uh, if I recall it correctly, minimum viable solution. In other words, what we've done in the past also, we've designed this final solution. You know, we wanted to build the Royce Royce. And it takes us four years to build the Royce Royce. And by the time the prototype has been tested and we manufacture the first Royce Royces, the need for that kind of Royce Royce has moved on. And what the talk now is in terms of this innovation is you design a minimum viable product or service and you put it out there and with quick 
quick feedback loops, you adapt it, enhance it, expand it uh, as you go along. So maybe you start with a Beetle, but the Beetle has got the platform maybe to eventually become a Rolls Royce. But you're not sure what the final Rolls Royce is going to look like. And maybe you don't even end up with a Rolls Royce. Maybe you end up with a Toyota instead of a Beetle. But that you go out there and engage and don't withdraw and then suddenly on the day you unveil. And that means, again, mistakes, failures, uh, experimentation, learning from one another in a, 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 within the context of shared leadership. Yeah, also, the, the concept that you must be a, have a perfect product before you go to market. Yes, mm. there are certain things that must be in place. But what you are saying is the very purpose must be get the product there at an acceptable form, yes, and then you evolve from there because you will have to involve. If you think you won't have to involve, you don't understand what's happening out there. Because yeah, I, re- I remember um, I love aircraft and, fly, and flight and I remember watching a, the history of the Comet, which was the first commercial jet um, that came out after the war and was done by the British, if I recall correctly, if my facts are correct. Yes. And they had some major disasters and all of a sudden, they just went under. You never heard of them again. And yet Boeing from and the Americans and some of the others just took, and they actually were grateful to Comet for all their errors, like it was the cooling system, the, the way the way their mm. engines were actually part of the, the wing instead of uh, attached to the wing, and a few other things like that that was critical for Boeing to become successful. And hence, we have Airbus and Boeing as the two big manufacturers of, mm. of commercial jetliners. And because they've learned from the mistakes of others, and you wonder if Comet had actually stuck to their guns and worked through those errors and improved, if they wouldn't still have been a, a leader in aircraft manufacturing oh, today. So, so yes. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned, uh, we mentioned this story, and if I may repeat it, this event uh, in a previous case, when we discussed innovation uh, and experimentation and learning from your mistakes, it, this divisional CEO of Johnson & Johnson went to the group CEO said, yes, my letter of resignation, we've made a, took a poor decision, I'm fully accountable for it, wrong decision, it's going to cost us $20 million or thereabouts. It was a significant amount. And, this, uh, and, and one of the values of, of Johnson Johnson is innovation. And the, CEO, the group CEO said to the divisional CEO, he said, sorry, I can't accept your resignation. Uh, so the, 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 uh, he said to him, no, no, why can't you accept it? He says, I've just invested $20 million in your, your development. Go and earn it back for me. <laughs> uh, Wonderful. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you so much. And Professor Theo Feltzman, thank you so much for being with us for another year. We have thoroughly enjoyed the conversations Thoroughly enjoyed your leadership style, your leadership um, understanding, your experiences on yourself, being able to teach others, as well as your own experiences in business, especially in mining and other places, and your your um, authorship in writing books upon this, um, on the subject. And we look forward to 2019 and spending time with you again. Once again, uh, for leadership, uh, go to our website www.leadershipplatform.com We also have a a leadership app which we are going to broadcast to the public um, soon so you can also engage in leadership there which Theo is is part of that and uh, Louis and Theo thank you so much for 2018 has been a 
a real gem and a blessing to be part of this conversation. This is CliffCentral.com.